Welcome to another point with Shawnee B. An interesting guest today. When I first started podcasting, the gentleman who's with me here was the guy who showed me the ropes, what equipment to buy, how to edit, and he was my first beta guest. And he was great because he not only gave me his time to interview me, but showed me how to edit and how to set the controls so that they record like they do. He's a great raconteur, um, a very funny man, a man who's semi-renaissance guy he's into music he's a set up his own ad agency he used to be a gardener he's traveled strong opinions on the way the world is going the way society is going and welcome to the podcast a friend who i've known for almost 30 years jesus Dennis Goodbody, how are you, sir? I'm all the better for being here, Sean, except for that scary fact. We, to almost 30 years, would we, you not do that to me? We knew each other. I started working in advertising in 1987. In about 88 or 89, we're the writing partner to my girlfriend, Dee McMahon. Mm-hmm. So I would have been the early 90s. Early 90s. Mm-hmm. I left in 96. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yep. Where is that time gone? I don't know. I, I have absolutely no idea. Time is an illusion. Lunchtime doubly so. And the lunches were much better in the 90s. They were, they, they? were great. I'm a complete anomaly as well because apparently something like 80% of people working in advertising are aged between 20 and 32 or 35 or something. I'm a bit older than that. But uh, that scared the heck out of me. It's an industry that was dependent on depth of experience. and. Uh, but there, no, there was a survey done in Ireland, and I'm sure the same applies in London and New York, where 3% of the people working in advertising are over 50. Mm-hmm. We're both, well, I'm nearly 50, you're well, over I'm, 50. Oh, I passed that. Crazy. <laughs> you could make the case that that is one of the reasons why everything has gone to shit in terms of the quality of advertising work coming out. The depth. Just, yeah. Yeah, because my, my mentors were all a lot older than me and I learned a great deal from them. But no, times are changing. It'll come full circle. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a very cyclical business. So tell me what you're doing now. What's your, what's your, what is your core business and how do you... Well, in the introduction, you very kindly said that I uh, ran an advertising agency, which I did. But in 2011, um, we had money in the bank, but there was more, there was less money coming in than there there was going out because of the little incident that happened in the economy. But one way or another, we decided to close the agency and we did. And so I now work from a bedroom and I call myself (laughs) a, a wholesaler. Other people go and find the clients. Other people come up with the problems and they pay me to solve the problems and that's fine. Um, And thankfully the phone keeps ringing and the emails keep coming in. But um, I also, it enables me to vary my my palette. 2012, I wrote a book. Somebody commissioned me to write a book about the use of storytelling in the sales process. He wanted to write a textbook, basically, to support his um, sales training business. And uh, we were having the first meeting we had about it. I said, Paul, he said, yeah. I said, we can't really talk about storytelling, the importance of storytelling in the sales process in a textbook. We have to tell a story. <laughs> so I don't think it's unique, but it's one of the few it's business... It's paradox. It's one of the, the few business novels out there. It's called <laughs> Soft Tales and Hard Asses because the one criteria the guy who commissioned the book said the star needed to be a Harley Davidson fan and apparently a soft tail is a type of, of Harley. Yeah. The, the story involved a businessman whose hobby was going off on rideouts and Harleys and stuff. And it got a good reception. I mean, still it's out a, there? Yeah, it's still yeah, out I'll there. Put a, it's, I'll put a link to it on Is it on Amazon or something? Yeah. The other thing you do is podcasts. T- tell me about your podcast, because I was on well, one of your podcasts. You remember? were, you absolutely not, um, were. We recorded not 100 meters from here. We, we did, that's true. A long time ago, when my son was three or so, he was a bit of a handful, and he was being homeschooled, by my wife, who one of her many, many talents is
is teaching. But when I came home from work of a Friday evening, she'd say, here's your son. Basically, she wanted the weekend off. So I started looking for things, something that I could do that would involve him, but would give me a hobby. So I'd been talking to someone who had a show on, on Dublin City FM, and I thought, why not a radio show? And I looked at their schedule and I called Dublin City FM, but they didn't have a show about Dublin. So not. I put together, being the, being, be? being the strategic <laughs> advertising person, I went, look, where is the chink in this armour? How can I get my Trojan horse through that? No, that's a mixed metaphor. But I, <laughs> I put together a treatment for a radio show about things to do in Dublin with your three-year-old at the weekend. Brilliant. And uh, they bought it. Uh, he stayed with me probably three or four years at it, and then he was too cool to do it with me the first one we did we went up three rock yeah. uh, so that we could look at the city that we were going three to rock do is, it, it's um, hard to call a mountain a hill yeah. overlooking Dublin it's, it's the, it's a, it overlooks Dublin when you, all the TV masts are on top of it when you're there you can basically see the whole city beneath you we looked at all the things that we were going to go and visit the transport museum in Hoth we got to do all kinds of stuff around cool the Genie idea. Johnson and everything brilliant but the first Christmas that I was doing that they asked people to come in and cover gaps in yeah. the schedule and they get people to volunteer so I volunteered to do an hour and I went in and did a live broadcast of basically of soul and gospel music left the studio really enjoyed the experience and I was off on my way to Dunleary and the phone rang and it was the manager of the station he said two guys from the board have phoned in wanted to know who you are and if you'll do another show do a, do a music show yeah. I ended up doing another show called Roots Musings which I did for probably seven years it's on Mixcloud it's called Roots Musings there's about 150 shows up there's, there Mixcloud.com there'll be a link to both of uh, the podcast well, is the other one a podcast as well it's on well they're, they're all podcasted but they were yeah. broadcast on air no brilliant experience that's you, you know yourself it's, and how it's, old is Isaac now Isaac 13 <laughs> <laughs> and way too cool for any school yeah yeah you're from dublin right i am i'm from black rock your yeah. father was an anesthetist which is a very hard word to say it is so much easier if you're american you could say anesthesiologist <laughs> uh, um, so what was it like growing up in dublin in the, the jury is out as to whether i did grow up um <laughs> No, well, I have to say, I, I've, I was talking to a guy who I know who runs a pub in Hilden in Germany, and he's been out of Ireland for probably 35 or 40 years. And we were talking about the differences in Dublin and, and the phrase, I think it's a book title, but it's a wonderful phrase. The past is a foreign country. I was walking along the quays. I was late to this meeting. I was, I'd walked along the, the banks of the River Liffey through what had origin in my childhood was tenement housing, Gas works, docklands, piles of coal, dereliction, Guinness ships, and smoke, smoke, smog, smog, and the stench of the river. Those are all negative things. If you're from Dublin, you'd be thinking, ha ha, the good old days. But but the the smell was, smells were disgusting and it was foggy and there was dirty old town. Dirty old town, yeah. Runny nosed kids in their bare feet and shorts selling newspapers in the streets. And um, it was a very, very different city uh, to the one it is today. Walking along the river today, all glass and sparkling, uh, sparkling glass and more cranes for building more buildings and it, that's not bad it's it's actually a very it's a beautiful city and it's clean the river doesn't stink anymore the air is cleaner but I didn't spend an awful lot of time in the center of the city when I was a kid I was in the leafy suburbs of Black Rock which is by, by the sea I couldn't have asked for a nicer place to grow up it was absolutely beautiful to be a quarter of a mile from a beach 
less than half an hour I could be walking up Three Rock to be looking back down at my house you know yeah. uh, it's an extraordinary city but I know you have a very strong point of view on uh, I mean those people listening from other countries who don't know the history Ireland was under the yoke of Britain for 800 years and kind of became its own country only in 1922 and it was extremely poor and we had to get everything off the ground like a whole legal system a whole health system a whole education system which took 40 years so around the time Dennis was growing up we were still in extremely poor country the eu helped us a lot mm-hmm. but you have a i mean also along this time i suppose late 70s 80s reaganism thatcherism neoliberalism mm, that was something close to your heart that is something that i uh, this has been a, a, a large amount of debate going on amongst my tribe on the web following the death of peter sutherland who was an irishman and i was called an irish statesman but is globally known because he was chairman of Goldman Sachs. He was the basically the mastermind behind the GATT Treaty, huge force in deregulation in European industry, the airlines. The whole neoliberalism calm is being very much talked about now because of Trump, because of uh, Peter Sutherland's death and because of Brexit and so forth. The divisiveness of the me, me, me economy. I was born in a, in a society, but I'm raising my child in an economy. Explain what you mean by that. What I mean by that is there is a need for taxation. Everybody must contribute for the common services, the the things that we share. When I was a child, your garbage was collected from your door and it was part of your rates, i.e. taxation and so on and so on. Basically, what I'm saying is, in short, is that there were more things that people got, regardless of their social standing or their demographic place or their wealth or whatever, things that everybody got as part of being a citizen and living in in the country. More and more and more things through privatization. We've been told that privatization is going to make things efficient. And then what happens is it gets commodified and owned by others. The ownership is removed from the citizens and therefore we basically have to do what the corporations tell us to do, like it or lump it. I, I'm not naive. I remember the, the telephone system in this country was absolutely abysmal, yeah. incredibly bad, and was kept that way by negative unions. I'm a big fan of good unions. Mm. A good union is essential. Uh, but there were bad unions who did bad stuff. The general trend has gone from provision of services through fair taxation Mm -hmm. to buy everything individually. Your water, your bins, your health health and your your roads, like your your health. Toll roads, exactly. And health is particularly, I'm looking across the water and seeing the, the British NHS being demolished. A healthy populace is a healthy economy. It's that simple. We're going towards the American model of everybody being frightened. Health has been taken over by Wall Street and by pharmaceutical companies who have more lobbying power. In, they're, they're, well, somebody said the biggest problem America do is they mix capitalism with health and that just mm, does not work. No, you, you, it, it, you let people die because they can't pay their insurance. That's not a society. Mm. It's not even an economy unless you're, you happen to be a Nazi. To me, we're experiencing the death throes of capitalism mm-hmm. and the need to have another ism. I, I often, mm-hmm. I may have quoted before in the podcast, Deng Xiaoping in China back in the 70s said that in order to, to arrive at pure socialism, mm-hmm. you first must pass through capitalism, mm-hmm. which I think has been it's quite a prescient comment because mm-hmm. that's what we're doing. At the moment. Mm-hmm. But, but I listen to my, my father and the, his generation, and they all think it's great. He'd say, oh, isn't it great that we don't have tenements anymore? And look at all the great things. And mm-hmm. yes, a few thousand right. kids yeah. were abused by priests, but hundreds of thousands weren't. And mm-hmm. we, we filled ourselves with excuses 
to kind of support the idea of a 1% and of a trickle down of a kind of capitalistic thing without actually ever really questioning or saying, is there a better way? Well, the, the amount of pressure on people, and that's what keeps people down. The wealthier you are, the more you can choose how much tax yeah. you pay and where. You then can make munificent donations to things and have your name over stuff. Yeah. No, you earn money, you pay tax. We have more homeless people on the streets of this, of, of this city than we had when we were a poor country. That does not make any sense. Yeah. And then the other thing is charity. Whether it's charities for the homeless in Ireland or charities for the hungry in Africa, we're constantly, constantly looking at ordinary people trying to pay 2,000 euro a month in rent to keep a small house going to raise their children in are being told how lucky they are because of what it's like in Africa, but give money now, give money now. How lucky they are because they have that house that they're struggling to keep, give money to the homeless, give money to the homeless. Homelessness is a national problem which needs to be organised and coordinated, not by charities, by a government. Of course, charities are important, but as to what those charities are, homelessness is not something that should be regarded as a charity issue. We've lost sight of the fact that there's probably a basic societal requirement, irrespective of how smart you are, or irrespective of how poor you are, or irrespective of how bad you are or mentally unstable or ill you are that you should you have you should have a right to a roof over your mm-hmm. head food to eat shoes clothes and an education and a health system that if you get sick it just gets looked after we have a thousand people roughly on trolleys waiting in our hospitals at time of uh, recording um, my, my joke was i wonder what happens when we run out of trolleys yeah yeah, yeah. it's all part of fear if the powers that be let's call them that and i'm sure i'm being called a conspiracy theorist already but if the powers that be wanted to solve the homelessness problem they would it's a matter of prioritizing if they wanted to solve the trolley problem they would mm. one way or another it suits somebody to have it that way well i mean the other thing is the reason for that i think is and i read recently which was eye-opening that when we had the collapse of the housing market and we were at rock bottom, there were two ways to go. One way was to fix it societally. So say we, 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 you know, our, our income and our, our, our credit side of our balance sheet was diminished. We basically offloaded all the debt, debt to a government-sponsored institution called NAMA, who became one of the biggest property owners in the world. They could have fixed the homeless issue and the society issue. Mm-hmm. But instead, it was more important for them to keep house prices rising because that were their assets, mm-hmm. whereas they could have gone the other way. And they also employed the middle class, the privileged class, lawyers, solicitors, mm-hmm. state agents. All those people got looked after. And meanwhile, at the bottom end of the ladder, poor people or the, the, the working class were not looked after and mm-hmm. really badly left behind, which they had already been in the boom. Mm-hmm. So we have a society here, which I think mirrors America in mm-hmm. many ways, yep. and mirrors capitalism, that says we must protect the privileged class, which we would be members of, mm-hmm. and we must be very careful to keep tamping down the working class, which is why we're probably going to end with pitchforks and revolution, which is what happens, because there's far more people, mm-hmm. numbers, yeah. in the latter than there and, is in the former. And one of the things, when um, the more reactionary people that I know giving out about the, the protests about water charges, which were enormous, yeah. I was on two of them, and they were very large. I'd been at protests before, yeah. these were large. And when you have a large protest, it, mean, it means there's a lot of people who are involved. Sorry, I know that, just a background fiasco <clears throat> that the, the, the water the government decided to charge people for water to their homes about four years ago. 
they started doing it. People in Ireland rebelled, saying the water should be provided free as part of the um, huge amount of tax we pay. The government dithered on it. The thing broke down. Uh, half the people had paid, half the people hadn't. Uh, they put in water meters and to the tune of half a billion dollars, I think, mm -hmm. into homes in Ireland. And then the whole thing fell apart because of the protests, and so half the people had paid, and now they're getting rebates. And it's just a classic Ireland cock-up. Oh, of which we have so of many. It would take so a whole many. podcast. Actually, to actually, going back to the start of the conversation, one of the things I've noticed since I came back is the five things, and I mentioned this in the podcast with Kieran McGann, the five things that were problems when I left the country in '96, and I'm now back 21 years later, are the same five things that were problems then. We had a health system that was creaking. Mm -hmm. We had an education system that needed reform. We had a homeless problem with, mm -hmm. you know, Tony Gregory and all those mm -hmm. guys. We have politicians that just talk and don't do, mm -hmm. so complete inaction. In a lack of creativity in government mm -hmm. to provide quick, creative solutions, you know? Right, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. What are you gonna show me? Well, well, I was just going to, go, I, I had occasion to be in one of our, our hospitals where the staff are really doing their best. They're really, yeah. really good people. But I was in overnight with a, a child and, and I found, I was probably in places I shouldn't have been, but I found this board, which is a white board, you know? I, yeah. I, do, I just go what hospitals do, what advertising agencies do, and accountants do, they have the white boards with their missions and whatever else. This was meeting. The blamestorming. <laughs> well, this would just, I just couldn't resist taking a photograph of this because it's reflective of where we're at. The quality board, priorities to deliver quality. Number one, adequate nursing levels. Not optimum, no. not excellent, adequate. Number two, adequate doctor levels to meet service need. And third one, hospital-wide management of overcrowding. Not elimination of overcrowding, no. management of overcrowding. Uh, and it goes on. But, but it's to, quite pragmatic. It, it, it's pragmatic. In many ways, it, if you're running a hospital. It, yes, I, I, I hear you. Yeah. But it's reflective, it's, it, it's pragmatic, in it, but, it, but as opposed to aspirational. Uh, but in, in as far as being pragmatic, well, then it's obvious. And why write yeah. it down? Yeah. What, what, if you're objective... Well, or, I, I, I could see why, because it, some of the pressure these nurses and doctors are under is overwhelming. And it really is. Uh, and actually saying, look, you don't have to fucking get through everybody, but try and get the most important... He's sick. You know, I mean, I, I, you could probably just go fuck this and walk out. Mm -hmm. oh, it's right. just so trying to put some semblance of management, mm -hmm. even if it is a finger in the dike. Yeah, uh, I can understand how you might have to try and get people to like. How do you get a doctor who's worked twenty hours to work an extra two hours when mm -hmm. some fucking car crashes happen on the M fifty? Yeah, I uh, know. I, 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 as I pre carefully prefaced that by saying that I have enormous respect mm -hmm. for the medical staff and and having um, my bedroom was beside my parents' bedroom. So when the phone rang and my father went out in the middle of the night when there'd been an accident or something, I knew all about it. So huge respect around. But yeah. they're put in that position where they're they're trained for excellence and, and no compromise yeah. but they're put in a position where they're having yeah. to use words like adequate and sure. managing overcrowding on the wall of the, the tent in MASH <laughs> they wouldn't have had that yeah, very there. good point yeah. Yeah, triage unit. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Hawkeye, I want you to adequately service that. No, they were looking for excellence for everybody. I, I mean, the other thing I have a be in my bonnet about is everyone's, you know, well, what else can you do? You know, so apart from the fact that I feel that, you know, there should be almost a SWAT team, uh, almost like a mini ad agency of just people like you and I who probably do it for, you know, we, we want some sort of pain, but we getting getting people who think creatively about, mm -hmm. about problems. And then it was, there's no examples. I mean, to me, Scandinavia is, is the place we all need to start looking. Mm -hmm. where, yes, you do maybe pay 53, 58, 62% taxes. 
but people are happy and I think Irish people would be happy if the education system was as good as theirs mm-hmm. if the health system was as good as theirs etc and you if know, the taxation was fair yeah, yeah. yeah there was a story I don't know whether it's true or not but um, in Norway fines are means tested so if you're yeah. a punter who's on 30,000 kroner a year yeah. and you're caught speeding you're your fine is commensurate with your thirty thousand, but if you're if you're worth three billion, yeah. and you're caught speeding, your um, fine is that much bigger. I think that's beautiful. I, I don't know whether it's true or not, but it's it, it should be. What the, sort of solution do you see? Well, you I, I'm, I'm, this sounds very woolly that I'm, I, I, I'm given that you've already said it, but but to have the, some good brains on it, yeah. And um, really, I mean, in, in the UK, they had, they had these things called czars from yeah. private sector people who were appointed to go in and and beat the, beat the living daylights out of problems and solve them. I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe that, but you, you know that that would just be some sinecure, some, some rugby club buddy of, of yeah. the minister will get the gig because that, we, we, we are a bit of a... Um, a, bit of a, a to look for positives, I do feel we have a government that's starting to embryonically develop under our new, our new prime minister that feels younger and it feels more in touch and it feels less old boyish and yes it's still right less away. dynastic I, one, it was one of the Greek philosophers who said in a democracy people get the government they deserve yeah. so I say say that before I, before I go on but two things I'm extremely grateful for in this country are that we have proportional representation and that we also have a multi we're multi-party my wife's American and they're stuck in an absolute logjam first of all the voter change goes on the two percent in the middle, the vacillating, yeah. where because one time it's some one party's fifty one and the next and the other's forty nine and then it reverses, and then beyond that they've got the college system, yeah. uh, which can overturn the forty nine fifty one. So, but the um, college system, the, I mean, the electoral college system is more like the American version of proportional representation, where even small uh, states that have got fuck all people. No, that, that, a, that's nothing a, to do with proportional representation. Well, no, proportional representation, I think one of the problems with it in Ireland is it allows the Healy rays of this world to get into the doll based on a fucking boring down the back of somewhere beyond in Kerry. It allows local issues to become major. You blame that on for proportional yes, representation? Because, because because, you know, they usually get in on the, on account. You know, if you're just putting, mm. well, I, I vote for this person to be my local prime, my, my local mm. team. And then you've got five five rounds of it. That that is where you know. Oh yeah, your man's doing good work for the boring. I'll give him number three. You know, and that's how mm. they get in. You know, well, are, are they getting I me? Mean, well, the the alternative to that is to end up with two parties. And to, well, the alternative is maybe have. Mm. I mean, it's hard to do an article because it's so small. But to have a stronger local. Yeah, that, I think that's more the problem uh, than because because we, we get logjam mm. like pricks like Healy Ray mm-hmm. coming up going. I want drink. I want people in Kerry to be allowed to drink drive uh, in the pubs. Because, <laughs> just, you know that becomes a talking point for two days. And like li- listeners toilets. at home, this is actual fact. Yeah, sorry, we have a we have a we have a, 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 a dynasty of kind of tickos from Kerry. Excuse my my listeners from Kerry. I'm from Kerry myself, but they use elections to do they run on stupid positions like for example all the pubs down in the backs of beyond and Kerry are losing business because people can't drive to them because they, they don't want to drink and drive because they're not allowed to well you know they're only small country roads we should be allowed to let them drive drunk you know we're not too not too badly drunk you know I'm all right I'm all right mm. but those guys get into power they usually because we end up having hung parliaments hold the balance of power and so the government party that's 
trying to make a government has to sort of appease them hopefully not by letting people drink drive down and carry but you know they have more mm. power than they deserve or that, that their intelligence should allow them to mm. and I'm not just oh God, picking it. I mean there's some guys That's like Tony Gregory who've been really important well Tony yeah um, yeah Tony Gregory was another independent um, who boy barrows uh, and people like that today mm. are taking on mm. his mantle but mm-hmm. uh, yeah I doubt we're probably going to solve it on a on a pint with Shawnee B um, the other thing I want to talk to you about is something that I know nothing about and you're the only one of the only people I know who is this you're from a quaker background yes and i know nothing about that i'm sure lots of my lots of my listeners don't ireland is an extremely 95 percent catholic probably 75 lapsed catholic i think it's um, more than 95 is it it was 98 at one point yeah, anyway and this we are talking about the republic of ireland here i'm yes. not sure whether the statistics are slewed uh, if you add in northern ireland yeah there were there used to be um, quite a significant community of Quakers in Ireland uh, in the 1600s onwards but um, so tell me what, I don't even know anything but tell me what's the, what's the, the top line on what, what okay. Quakers about Quaker is a nickname we basically absorbed the nickname so, you know when you, you absorb something it di- disempowers it yes. it stops it from, so the official name is the Religious Society of Friends whose mission would be described as seekers after the truth I love that expression seekers after the truth and what it basically that means is, as friends an association of friends of people of, of a common approach to life right. don't that's agree with each other with a common approach to life and seeking after after the truth is basically you don't know what eternity is you don't know what happens when you die yeah. you don't know if there's a god or not mm-hmm. um, you might not be convinced or you might be but we we don't know the truth so we don't say we know we say we're looking for the truth which is that, that these are this is I would say saying these things first because it's why I'm still happy to call myself um, a, a Quaker but in essence it's just Christian plain and simple and I also like to point out to people that we're not Protestants, we're nonconformists. Protestants are, because a lot of people in Ireland don't know this, mm-hmm. and they think Protestants as anybody who isn't Catholic, but in fact, Protestants were people who rebelled against Catholicism. Quakers, along with various other sects that appeared uh, around the time of the Enlightenment and after, are regarded as nonconformist because they didn't want they wanted to review it and look at their own way. I suppose Methodists would have been similar, Calvinists and so forth, Moravians. There are tons of them out there. But Quakers would all be agreed on some pretty basic things that Christ said: uh, "Love thy neighbor as thyself." As an atheist, I agree with that. Well, and this is the thing I love when people say to me, "Oh, do you you're, you're religious?" I'm not particularly religious, yeah. to be honest with you. As to whether there's a God or not, I don't know. I have yeah. my own. I say to people, "Define to me what you mean by God." Yeah. What I think of God as being the good bit in every person, and I'm basing that on something. I, I'm going further in than I intended here, but the founder of the Religious Society of Friends is a dude called George Fox. He's from Cumbria in the north of England. One of his, the things that he said, as it said we should do, is we should walk cheerfully over the world and look for that of God in every man. And that, that I think, is a lovely, lovely thought. Because if you do that, you are looking for the good in a person. You'll always find bad in people if you want to. Sure. But if you go out and look for the good in the person, the person will see that you're looking at them positively and you'll find yourself talking to the good part of that person. Mm-hmm. And if we all try to do a bit of that, 
it actually you get to hear people better. St. Paul never met Jesus Christ, but most of the Catholic Church, as far as I can see, is about St. Paul. Christ didn't say anything about homosexuality, uh, but the Deuteronomy and all those Old Testament ones, which are basically Jewish books, say that. So let's worry about what Jesus Christ said. And basically, he very much was said, don't fight wars, don't, don't, don't yeah. fight. So pacifism is vitally important to Quakers. It's one thing that we would all be very, very hot on. If you can avoid fighting if you actually say well i'll fight in certain circumstances and look what's happened to the world all this yeah. world planet calling itself christian but the tomb was barely sealed uh before christians were fighting other people because they weren't christians going on crusades so um quakers would gen would generally be conscientious objectors go to prison rather than be enlisted but doesn't mean that they they'd stay away from the fray both uh, there's um it was an organization called the Quaker Ambulance Unit, which my father and my grandfather were both in, who went into battle zones and whatever and picked up anybody who was injured, whatever side they were on, to fix them. So it's not about being cowards. It's actually just about not so believing they were like war. like uh, medicine. Red that cross, kind of thing. Yeah, that medicine. kind of thing. But I don't think that it exists as an organization anymore. But those are the things that are important to me about it. But the other thing about Quakerism that sticks out to people is that the meeting for worship, which is what it's called, is people sitting together for an hour in silence and that freaks people out and when i went so to you a, sit around a circular table it's not it's basically usually when i was a kid the old-fashioned ones were like courtrooms there was kind of a gallery where the elders sat and then everybody else sat around but but now that basically it's just a room with lots of chairs in it uh, maybe a table with some flowers in the middle of it and if anybody feels like has something that they feel they want to say they stand up and speak the old-fashioned term is when the spirit moves you right. but you might sit there for an hour with nobody saying anything it's basically a meditation and but what's remarkable is that some if you're sitting there uh, in silence and you're thinking about something it, it is creepy the amount of time someone yeah. will get up on the other side of the room and start talking Irish about exactly or a vacuum in conversation <laughs> well, well they, they, they might start talking about exactly what you've been thinking about right. so there, there really is a kind of a, an atmosphere there's no singing hymns there's no yeah. kneeling down and praying or any, anything like that it's just sitting in an, and what together was the name a, thing the which the name thing that you were talking about the Quaker name oh sorry yes yeah. you were asking right apparently in the early days um, there were people who would get filled with the spirit and start yeah. quivering and shaking and ah. speaking and whatever you hear about that Pentecostal and uh, apostolic and evangelical organisations yeah. where people speak in tongues and quiver and stuff I don't know anything about that the Shakers Shakers were actually um, Mother Anne I think her name was was a Quaker but Quakers were far too liberal for her Oh, really? um, she, 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 she went group. to a splinter group, took a, a group of people off to the States. Extraordinary organization, yeah. really amazing, but they didn't have sex. Men and women so were separate. Yeah, yeah, by they, adop they, they adopted children and brought. Oh, they raised oh, children, right. but only when there were children available. But they were extraordinary people. It was a Shaker woman who invented the chainsaw. <laughs> they, uh, they invented grain silos. They, right. they, the rudiments of uh, intensive farming and efficient grain silos, and yeah. they were incredible people, incredibly industrious. And Quaker Oats is part of it, right? Quaker Oats was a company set up by. Well, I, I don't know the original people would have been Quakers, but yeah, uh, yeah. but Pennsylvania was originally a yeah. Quaker colony because William Penn was was a Quaker. Because that's the other thing. There was a certain amount of persecution. Being married to an African American woman, I don't really want to talk too much about my people being persecuted yeah, but yeah. one of the reasons why Quakers would have come to Ireland would have been because they would have been thrown in prison and stuff in, in England. An antecedent of mine was sent to prison because he refused to pay a tithe to the local 
vicar, which was an, an obligation. It was kind of effectively like a, a council tax, but it went to the church. Yeah. And he said, I'm not in your church. I'm not paying it. And he spent about three years in prison for that. How are the Quakers with, like, can anyone walk into a meeting? Or? Oh, you're more than welcome. There's uh, a good few people come and don't join. Some people come, uh, you know, they come regularly, but aren't members. Do you get, like, people coming in just acting the maggot? I've never seen it. Right. I've never seen it. I've seen people who are a bit disturbed standing up and telling their life story to the room or, or, yeah. or whatever that, that they might be a bit odd yeah. but they just get tolerated and maybe somebody will go up and talk to them af- afterwards and yeah. ask if they want a cup of tea or whatever you know it's it's very it's very right on yeah. <laughs> I, I mean I picked up a, I picked up a word maybe two years ago for myself which I haven't actually filling my god-shaped hole with it mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds terrible uh, but I and it's just the word kindness and mm-hmm. I, I kind of find that as such a strong word when you're getting up in the morning and particularly when you're going to sleep at night mm-hmm. when you just look in the mirror because i'm i can be quite you know me quite well i kind of can overstep the mark quite a bit in comedic mm-hmm. attempts he's very funny attempt, no bad <laughs> attempts at comedy sometimes backfire which they have to and they should be allowed to in my view but when you're going to bed at night thinking where was i as kind as i could have been mm-hmm. today in my interactions with mm. the world, and yeah. the same in the, in, mm-hmm. in the world, which is Christ. Whilst I don't believe in the Catholic Church, and I think it's an abomination, and I think that religion is one of the things that's fucked us all up. There's clear teachings from Buddha, Christ, mm-hmm. Muhammad. You know, there's clear strains that run through every religion mm-hmm. that are all about you know what you said be good to thy neighbour and mm-hmm. stuff like that that we should if we all live by the world it'd be a far happier place and war and violence and well, aggression and the notion of I, I try to take care not to be outspoken about things that I dislike about or disapprove of about about other religions or denominations because and are important to say Christianity is a denomina- is a religion Catholicism is a denomination yeah. so is Quaker a lot of people say Catholicism is a religion no it's not mm. it's a sect within the Christian <laughs> yes. religion but a lot of people worry far too much about whether there's a God or not we'll know all about that when we die thanks exactly. our job at the moment is to, right here is to get on with it if the notion of heaven is important to you try and make it here very good my father uh, my father has a similar view he says I'm, I'm staying a Catholic on the off on the you know because what have I got to lose if it's true great mm-hmm. uh, and if it's untrue I'll be dead but, yeah. but, but, but I, I would say like yeah but like the idea of kneeling down worshipping singing ham, hymns and psalms and uh, you know as, as Bill Hicks said it, you can sum up Christianity but by you know eternal damnation to anyone who questions my everlasting love. Well, that's nothing. That, <laughs> I, that, that's anathema. I don't. Yeah, no, you, like, you won't. You won't find Jesus Christ. Way of capturing. You, Jesus Christ didn't say any of that. Yeah. Uh, read and I, I. I sound like I know what I'm. I'm not a scholar of the Gospels. Yeah. I've had lots of. I was at a boarding school, so I got lots of readings and stuff when I was a kid. But I did recently, just for the crack, read the Sermon on the Mount. I think right. it's in the Gospel according to Matthew. The only bit that isn't absolutely magic and right is that he disapproves of divorce, right. which I, uh, being married to a divorcee, think is actually yeah. quite an important thing. But everything else in the Sermon on the Mount, mm. it's all stuff you'd say, yeah, right, yeah, okay, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas the, the dodgy stuff is when you get into uh, into the letters of St. Paul or into the Old Testament or whatever else. But the, you don't have to believe um, in woo, yeah. to actually see some really good stuff in there about the logical stuff. 
Uh, but as I say, I'm not a scholar of it. I'm just I'm, I'm wary of people throwing it out on the basis that they were taught by a dodgy priest. But I still participate in Quaker meeting because it's a very important tradition to me. It does give people a place and a freedom to go and think with other people who want to think mm. and to share ideas and to be in an uninhibited fashion and to not be shouted down or anything like that. If other people want to kneel, stand or whatever else, that's yeah. absolutely up to them. If they don't want to eat pig's meat, that pig meat, that's yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. fine. As no long as you people. don't impose it upon yeah, me exactly, violently. Exactly. You know, hello Islam, if you're, sorry, yeah. parts of Islam. If you're listening. I mean, well, the, Christianity is doing the same thing yeah. to Islam. And the, yeah. the, you know, that, well, that's that, the, mm. It did, yeah. I mean, mm. I, th- this is the whole problem that we're, we're kind of caught up as a species uh, in revelation mm. that is pretty much in no position, at no point has there been categorical proof of revelation. I mean, I, I was I was at a, a kind of a it was called the um, Alpha meetings, which are about bringing trying to bring lapsed Catholics right, or agnostics or atheists like myself back to the church. And I was sitting around a table. We were having a discussion about religion, and one guy said to me, "You know, what's your view?" And I said, well, "I'm an atheist." And I was like, "Oh, an atheist amongst us," you know. And I was like, mm-hmm. it was like a sort of a, a different species." But you know, I said, "I said this. I said we have no proof." categorical proof in all of the thousands of years before Christ and all of that and no doubt Christ lived and he was a good guy and this guy said to me wait a second what do you mean we have no proof the guy rose from the dead after three days what more proof do you need and I'm like oh, but he, I can't argue that right I can't have that discussion go, oh yeah you're right sorry well done in your faith but as someone said if we lost all the holy books if the holy books I presume you guys have got Bibles like everybody else if they all disappeared and all of our memories were washed, wiped and we woke up mm. tomorrow and there was still sport and mm-hmm, there was still mm-hmm. trains and mm-hmm. podcasts we wouldn't get there today we, we would talk about how to be moral how to be kind exactly no exactly right because mm-hmm. we have that built into us mm-hmm. as animals mm-hmm. but we wouldn't come up with a Bible we wouldn't, we wouldn't rewrite the Bible. We wouldn't come up with a, with a bloke um, being in fact. I read literally in a debate, yeah, a discussion yesterday, somebody said something about the Pope being able to decide things. And, yeah, infallibility. And I, yeah. Infallibility. And, and I said, whatever it was that this guy said that the Pope could decide, I said, seriously? And he, he came back to me and he said, yeah, basically the Gospels are just folklore. Somebody has to be has to interpret them. And I went, oh my god! And I said, I said to him, it was, I, I said, I don't know you personally. Could, could you just tell me, are you being serious? And he said, you asked a question, I gave you an answer. Yeah. And I thought, oh my god! Because because for me the whole problem is about I, I'm with you all the way on that. We would come to the important stuff, the notion of how to build a society and how for how because because if we have a society and it hasn't taken Christianity to do this, it's happened in China and Japan and all around the world. For um, a city and to the Amazon rainforest, the right, to, still running around. Uh, to have, if you're going to have ten thousand, twenty thousand, a hundred thousand people living in a city, you can't do it in a chaotic fashion. Mm. So it has to be in a way where people say feel safe walking from A to B, yeah. and uh, where a woman can feel that she isn't going to be accosted by strangers, whatever else. Yeah. Which all takes a structure. That structure has to come from some kind of a code, and I'm willing to bet that we would end up having to write that guidebook yeah but it wouldn't necessarily have people uh, rising from the dead after three days or or not eating pork or whatever the thing is interesting because when i was growing up and when you were you were presumably 
in schools that taught scripture. Yeah, there were t- Church of Ireland mainly. Yeah, yeah, but you know, we were taught when we were kids, uh, and it, it's great the ma- out of the mouths or out of the minds of babes because as soon as you're going into religious education, they talk to you about limbo, right? So limbo's my little hobby horse. Rush when I was limbo. growing up, li- not Rush Limbo, limbo. <laughs> so limbo, uh, for those listening who, are, who, who don't know about it, well done, first of all. Uh, <laughs> but it was, it was, Basically, when you're a kid, you're, you're being taught about heaven, hell, and purgatory. Uh, you know, the great um, McDonough uh, movie in Bruges, one of the characters says, what, what's purgatory? And it says, well, it's where you go if you haven't been really good or you haven't been really bad. The guy <laughs> says, you mean a bit like Spurs? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there was heaven and there was hell and there was purgatory. And there were the souls in purgatory, the people who maybe didn't die by getting the last rites, which was a loophole, I again question whether if I've been a bad killer and I just happen to be in hospital with a priest by my side, I can get off and get straight to heaven, bad. But you get a whole pile of people in purgatory who are waiting to go to heaven. And the amount of prayers that we give them means eventually they get, or the amount of money sometimes we give the church, they would release souls into purgatory, right? crazy shit. But in other words, what happens to a baby that hasn't been baptized? So a baby comes out, dies, priest not there. Kids ask these questions. Oh, well, that baby has uh, not had the stain of original sin removed from it. And then it goes to limbo. And then as a kid, you go, what the fuck's limbo? Because we're kids and there was a, lot, a much higher infant mortality when we were growing mm-hmm. up. People lost kids. Miscarriages were more frequent. Mm-hmm. And you worry about your little baby sister who didn't make it. They go to limbo. What's limbo? Limbo is a vast, vacuous place where souls just float around. And they go, and they never get to heaven. No, they never get to heaven. But they never get to hell either. What? Yeah, that's why you're in limbo. You just stay there forever. So, excuse me. For, like all these little kids putting their hands up. So you're brought up going, that is terrifying. The babies did nothing. They didn't even sin. And then JP2, you know, <laughs> early 2000s before he died. To Back to your point, goes, actually, there is no limbo. And we go, there is no limbo. In 20 years, you decide to cancel limbo. Yeah, it's preposterous, isn't it? It's preposterous like all the other things that you have that well, are preposterous. Well, Sorry, that story it, took no, too long. No, it's again, it's something that I don't really feel free to comment and criticise, yeah, yeah. but but you're seeing my face here. Yeah. Um, and because, you see, I and this is the whole thing. In, in Ireland, it's also worth pointing out that the power of the church meant that there was no contraception. Uh, contraception was illegal. Yeah. And, um, we still don't have abortion. Uh, all of our people can go across the border to Britain and have one, but that's fine. But uh, like, I, it, this was all bizarre to me because I wasn't brought up to think of damnation or anything like that. I've never wow. been never been baptized. We don't we don't have any of those things. Uh, rotten hell. I did wasn't baptized. Uh, what was the other thing? Oh yeah, we don't have confirmation or communion or anything because confession. that's a, confession. Bosters. No, the the action of confession of telling somebody something is very deeply rooted in humans. I watch a series called Bones on TV. Oh, yeah, and there's a, it's about a division of the FBI. The department has a shrink in it. And every now and again, somebody goes into, a character goes into the shrink's office and talks to the shrink for a bit. And I said to my wife last night, that's a 21st century equivalent to the confession. Exactly. We have that. There's the old yeah. Irish folk story of the, the guy who has the, yeah. the secret and uh, he gets sicker and sicker and sicker and the uh, the medicine man or miracle max or whatever his name is tells him to go and tell his secret to a tree there there's a there is something in yeah, us yeah. that needs to do it Problem but the, and and I, I think that the church 
took hold of that and yeah. owned it. I think it's kind of kind of what happened. Probably because shared it's, as a problem mm, have, you know. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The lack of ability to. But the idea that somebody could have ownership of your of that is is quite extraordinary to me. The idea that you would need to have an intermediary between you and your creator, if there be such a thing, because that's another thing I should point out. There are no priests or clergymen yeah. or ministers or anything in the in Quaker organization. So, so that's Quakerism anyway. <laughs> We're not going to solve religion on a pint with you either. No. What do you just before we finish a big? Uh, what's your view on the future? You said you have a you know thirteen year old kid. We're in the deepest darkest side too of Donald Trump's presidency at the moment what do you think your outlook is on the future of the world the planet etc I say make or break you were sort of going there earlier on when we were talking about capitalism and the and movement the, this will either burst like a cyst and overflow and we can get to cauterize the wound we can repair humanity or it's going to go the full way and we're going to the, down the slithery slope to um limbo or purgatory or hell or wherever um, <laughs> because the myopia of the, the greedier people in the world there's nothing wrong with being wealthy if you can buy come by your wealth honestly i saw a documentary on warren buffett the other day i don't know everything about every trade he ever did mm. but that's one decent man yes yeah. a very decent man and bill gates as well yeah. for a, a very decent man perhaps a bit misguided in some areas but yeah. who isn't yeah. But in the political houses of the US and the UK, and ours are probably the same, they're just smaller and not yeah. as wealthy. Their vision of self-serving vision is terrifying. Yeah. It re- the, the notion of going into, into the houses of representation without humility and without a mission to serve, but instead going in with a mission to self-serve, mm-hmm is absolutely right. terrifying it's fuck the consequences fuck the consequences yeah. and they i think they fool themselves into thinking because they are serving their um sponsors and the vested interests and lobbyists and whatever that that is actually a contingent of the electorate that they're serving but it's not if you look at right. any statistics of, of of income in america a vast amount of people in America are actually under the poverty line. Yeah. Like, one I, in like three. I did a documentary. It's one in three are close to it. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. So the representation that you're seeing through TV and, and movies is of something that, well, I mightn't have it, but I'm in the land of the free and the brave. I could have it if I work hard enough. But no, you couldn't. And it's acceptable <laughs> because, yeah, we could, you may have been able to in the 50s. I think that I mean, the idea that this is the darkest hour before dawn is something nice to hold on to, I think. Mm-hmm. But I tend to agree with you. Last question. What would you say to a person who's 18 today? Happy birthday. <laughs> I crossed the ball. He nodded at it. <laughs> um, what would you say to somebody that is just sort of embarking on being an adult? looking back what, what wisdom would you pass back that sounds very uh, schmaltzy but I would say follow your dream it's something that uh, my wife and I talk about often because we have a 22 and 23 year old as well as the, the 13 year old we were both very very keen not to be saying you've got to do something pensionable or because I, I ended up in advertising because I wanted to be a writer and my parents said well can you not do that at night or can you know basically <laughs> so what they would have been happier if I'd gone and got a job in an, in an accountant's office or something yeah. like that so 
I compromised. I got a job writing and sitting in a fecking office all day long. Yeah. It's that feeling of trying to conform to satisfy the people that respect you, you respect yeah. and that did so much for you, yeah. but while following your thing. And there are two paths that diverge in different directions. You've got one foot on yeah. each. You basically end up doing the splits. So I would say to that 18-year-old, what is it you want to do? Yeah, okay, so you want to be a Premier League footballer and you've decided that at the age of 18. That wasn't a good decision. You needed to really start working on that when you're eight. But you're into football, you go for it. Even if you don't end up on the pitch, you could end up a coach, you could end up management, you could end up being the guy shouting the instructions from the, what's he called? Um, <laughs> but, but, but that, you know, my stepdaughter is has just been performing in Japan and, and Australia on stage and she's got a record deal and whatever else. Right. That's been what she wanted to do and she's doing very well of it. Now, she never actually stopped to ask was yeah. this the right thing or whatever we just said that's what she that's what I want to do and she went and she did it and the other fellow's doing photography and, and music also and he's doing it and fantastic and and a huge part a huge part of that exact follow your dreams comment comes up an awful lot from people on the podcast my view as well is a lot of parents in the past tended to either try and force their kids to live their dreams that they mm -hmm. failed to accomplish or they push their kids into places where they could then boast to their peer group or their friends about my son is becoming mm -hmm. a doctor or my, become, my daughter my is becoming a doctor. Yeah, yeah and mm -hmm. anything that was kind of what advertising, acting, Premier League football player, oh, there's no money in that. You know, you might mm -hmm. be, you're joking. Mm -hmm. And there was a huge tamping down of mm -hmm. ambition and, 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 a, and a need to conform, which we can conspiracy theorize as much as we like back to our previous conversation. Well, Anything well, else you want well, to add? Well, just on, on that one, my mother, who is 90 at the moment, she left school. My grandfather pushed her off to work in the bank on the basis that uh, it was pensionable. And if she didn't get married, at least she'd have a pension. And that's yeah. that was my mother's career sorted. No, you know, I I would want for any any child, male or female. I'm not going to say to you go and do something pensionable in case you don't get married. Feck that. What is your dream? And if you don't have a dream, go to sleep and wake up with one. You know, great way to end it. Dennis, goodbye. Thanks for that chat. It was great. Sean Boyle, it has been my absolute honour. See you next time. Ciao.